the, the family name is a, is a multi-billion dollar brand in the making. Uh, Julian, did you see the um, uh, that video? Know. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I, I really love that 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 message. You know that that your family name has as much value in it as you attribute to that, right? If yeah. it's, right, if you attribute no value, then it has no value, right? But if it, if you understand that it's a potentially a billion dollar commodity, then that's what it becomes. And um, and it's funny because I saw now I don't know if, I don't necessarily know if Hennessy is a family name or not. I got double check that, but I but I but I saw an article in Ebony where they or or this is one of the magazines where they said they said you know there's a documentary about the relationship between the black community and Hennessy, and uh, and and I and I said no 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 I, I want to see the relationship between black people and uh, or the black community in our own last names in our own products our own brands now again I don't know if that particular brand is a last name or not I got to research it. Yeah, yeah, but but I think at the end of the day, I think that rather than us uh, sort of getting excited about what we um, what we're related to, how about we get decide get excited about what we create? Uh, so uh, so so let me see. I'm gonna read some of the family names. I see the Levy the Levy family from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, uh, McKinney out of Kentucky, the Knox family out of Lithonia, Georgia, Harrelson, Santa Clara, California. Uh, Julian, uh, can you promote Jared? Oh, I'm sorry, this is from Carmelita. Okay, <laughs> Carmelita sent you a note. Uh, all right, Alicia Blackburn out of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, Jacquette out of Hartford. Breedy from Brooklyn. Uh, David out of Dallas. Crossing, Georgia. Uh, Yoletta, Detroit. Uh, Robin, Don Cherry out of Seattle. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, it, it's so great to see everybody. Okay, so um, so why, why are we here today? We're here because uh, today we are doing... Uh, something that is <clears throat> that is very exciting. Something that's that's um, that's going to change your life. Uh, this weekend we are here for the Generational Wealth Conference, and uh, the Generational Wealth Conference was something that we we were able to put together in the Black Business School with the help of brilliant people like uh, Julian Gordon and and uh, Carmelita has been extraordinary. Taryn and and uh, Lawrence, uh, my brother actually. Who speaking of last name, speaking of generational wealth right, and power, right. ju- just had a you know he just had a son. And his um, and and so we, we we were talking about you know literally you know literally planning planning out options for him and creating options for him before he was born you know that the, the, you know there's just a whole different conversation in terms of saying okay we know that there's mouse traps out here how do we make sure that he never gets caught in any of them or at the very least he has a choice of getting out right that's it you, all you can do with kids is give them a choice and uh, and so so the generational wealth conference is um. It's really not not about not as much about wealth as it is about life, right? Life and, and power, and uh, and so you know I, I think that I, what I want you to really do is uh, as we begin, uh, I, I'm gonna tell you something funny, then I'm gonna tell you something serious. Uh, anybody okay? Anybody remember Hammer Time? MC Hammer when MC Hammer came out and and um, and he was making money hand over fist and dancing with the big baggy pants and everything else. Uh, well, well, you know Hammer Time was. Uh, was was a big deal uh, for his family. Uh, MC Hammer's a smart guy, um, and I think that he's he's doing fine now financially. But a lot of you may also know that he wasn't doing so well financially for a little while. There was a, a time where uh, he had a lot of people on payroll and a lot of craziness kind of going on in terms of of, of what was happening economically, and um, and a lot of wealth was put at risk. And, uh, and now I don't know how he, how much he's recovered exactly since then, but. Uh, but I think about situations like that when I think about uh, either uh, about the word poor, right? And many of you have heard uh, the, the word poor as an acronym, which stands for passing over opportunities repeatedly, passing over opportunities repeatedly. And one of the things that we um, 
that that we have to understand is that when we take when we miss opportunities to uh, to build on our last name and to turn that uh, that last name into the billion dollar brand that God meant for it to be, uh, we are making ourselves poor. We're committing ourselves to being poor, and uh, in a way, it's a little bit like sports. You know, in, in sports, uh, sometimes you can you can create a culture of uh, of losing, right? Uh, a, a culture of uh, where you are so used to being at the bottom of the league that you just accept your role. That when the season starts, you just lay down at the beginning of the season, so you don't even have to worry about giving yourself what you feel to be this false hope or this false uh, belief that 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 you can actually be a winner. Uh, you know, there is such a thing as a loser culture. There is such a thing as a poverty mindset. There is such a thing as as psychologically being psychologically committed to being broke, to being at the bottom, to being in last place. And um, and so if, if, if a person's in that category, I don't necessarily uh, get mad at them because I get it. I totally get it uh, because I, I know that that was my family. I know that there were uh, struggles and positions in, in society that we just knew were going to happen by default uh, just by virtue of being black, that being a black male meant uh, it meant being poor, it meant struggling, it meant, it meant being happy that you stayed out of jail or being happy that you just finished high school or being happy that, or, or being proud of the fact that you take care of your kids. You know, I take care of my kids. Well, you know, some people in some families, you're supposed to take care of your kids, right? It's not, you don't get a cookie for that. And uh, and so what I want to, in terms of loser culture or, or being used to being at the bottom, and I, and I won't call anybody a loser, but I'm going to show you a chart out of uh, Black Labor, White Wealth of Dr. Claude Anderson. And on this chart, you can see on this chart, uh, it shows you uh, where we are, where we've been in terms of uh, of quality of life for Black people. Uh, now, uh, we did, we should, we talked about this in the Poweronomics Masterclass, and I'm going to pull this up again right here so we can dig deeper into uh, what I want to discuss as we begin this conference. Uh, so here uh, in in this column, we're at the time we were talking about politics and 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 this you know false belief that things like you know that, that who we vote for is going to change our condition as a community. Uh, I'm I'm not here to talk about that part. I'm here to talk about what the politics inside the institution you control, which is your house. Inside your house, you are the president of the United States. You are the king of the world. You are the queen of the universe. So 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 all the so all the political stuff is to the side for now. But what he does, what he did show is that. The, uh, he showed the number of ele- black elected officials here in 1964 at 103, and then the number of black elected officials in 1992. Between 1964 and 1992, we went from 103 black elected officials to 8,000 black elected officials. And then he looked at, he said, okay, if we have all these black elected officials 80 times more, we should have improvements in our quality of life, right? Uh, so he looked at uh, unemployment rate. Uh, actually, the unemployment rate actually went up. For black people uh, between uh, 1964 and 1992. So nothing there. Uh, he said, okay, let's look at the incarceration rate. What percentage of the prison population is black? And he found that that number actually got worse, that you actually have more black prison inmates after all the black elected officials than you had before when you had none. Uh, he looked at uh, the percentage of black people below the poverty line. That number remained pretty flat. And then he looked at per capita income relative to whites. It went from 53% uh, to 59%. So he's still in the 50s after uh, 20-something years. So so, so uh, what does this mean? What does this say? Well, some of this says that uh, not only is there a, um, is sometimes it, it's such a, a thing as a loser or a, uh, a losing culture uh, and a losing mentality, but it, it's not by accident, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty much by design. Uh, it's pretty much uh, sort of built and embedded into the process before we're even born. Uh, do you get what I'm saying? Give me a yes or no if you get what I'm saying. So not only 
not only are there, there are those of us who might be accustomed to being last in the league, so to speak, uh, to use a sports analogy, but the league was designed for you to be in last place. Uh, the league, the game was set up for you not to win. The game was sort of positioned so that so that if you did exactly what the commissioner of the league told you to do, you were not going to be winning any championships. Uh, you were going to be fighting for last place. Uh, kind of like maybe, I don't know, in football, the New York Jets, are kind of in the, that, that comes to mind, or the, or, or the, the Cincinnati Bengals, right? Uh, if you watch football, you know what I'm talking about. And so, so here's what I kind of want you to understand. Um, I, I want us to sort of understand that, that, that in, in this weekend, we're not just talking about um, you know, economics and money. We're not just talking about the X's and O's of, of how money works. That's part of the that's part of the process. We are going to talk about the game, and we're going to make sure we school you completely on the game for this entire generational wealth weekend. But but it, uh, but it's deeper than just uh, understanding the rules of the game. It's about understanding the importance of culture. Um, it's about understanding the importance of mentality. It's about understanding that in order to really win the game, you got to just not not just know the rules of the game, but you got to switch the game that you're playing in the first place. You can't not winning the game isn't isn't always enough. It's really changing the game. Uh, if I if I change the game and I play a different game with you, then I get a, I have a better chance to win because I, I, I'm not just a participant in the game. I get to become one of the originators in the game. And, uh, and, and so one of the things that, that I really think is important for us to understand, because, you know, in, in the black business school, we, we just we're just different like that. We're we're next level like that. And, uh, and it's not a, that's not a coincidence. I, I have spent 30 years te- you know, thinking about these things and on a very deep level and, and, and getting off the grid in, 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 in the thought process. These are things you're not going to find in a textbook. You're not going to learn these things on the college campus. There's no HBCU or predominantly white institution on the planet that can talk to you in a way that people like myself or uh, Julian Gordon or Dr. Claude Anderson are going to talk to you about, about any of these issues, right? And, and so, 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 we're, so the, the goal is to help you understand that, that there are economic players in the game. There are the people who change the game and control the game. And, uh, and the people in that second category become what I refer to as economic gods, economic gods. Now, what does that mean? Well, well, the power of God, just specifically, I'm a mathematician and also I'm marrying a woman who's deep in the metaphysics. But but I will tell you specifically that the power of God lies in the sixth dimension, not the fifth and not the seventh. It's it's the sixth dimension. And why do I say that? Well, because the power of a God is when you have the, the ability and the power to manifest. Um, man, what does manifest mean? It means exactly what you might think it means. It means abracadabra. I snap my fingers. It becomes real. It becomes a reality. Because I choose to see it, I, I create it, right? Because I'm thinking it and I'm obsessing over it and I'm going to bed and I'm dreaming about it, then my subconscious mind guides me to the creation of the thing that I'm dreaming about. And, and that's, a, that's a level of power that doesn't exist for people that are just in the game trying to win the game. Uh, this level of power exists for people who, uh, who create the game, who, who make the rules, who decide who the winners and losers are going to be in the game before the game even begins. And that also, that power of an economic guide is manifest not by people who get opportunities, but it's manifest by the people who know how to create opportunities, who can manifest opportunities, right? So I don't know about y'all, but I grew up going to church and uh, with, with my mama and my grandmother, and, 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 and we would do things that a lot of people do. We would pray, right? You would pray that, uh, please, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, let, let us get this opportunity. I hope I get this opportunity. As a young black man, I used to say, Gosh, if somebody would just give me the opportunity, then I could, you know, do this and do this and do this. 
And 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 then I I didn't realize that when I'm praying in church for opportunities, I'm not just praying to the God that's that's in the Bible. I'm praying to the economic gods uh, because I realized I looked around and I said, wait a minute, I'm in this world where I'm in this competition. I'm in this competition as a black man. I'm competing with the white man. I don't think I think it's okay for me to say that. Uh, we're we're, we're going to be honest with that about that. And and I said, wait, so I'm praying for opportunities. But these people have the ability to give me opportunities. So so that's a natural advantage that that person is going to have where I can never be your equal if I'm praying for the thing that you can manifest just like that with a snap of your fingers, when you can make a phone call and change my life. Uh, and so I said, okay, how do I go from, from playing the game and being a part of the game to actually designing the game and controlling the game? And, and, and that's where generational wealth comes into play. That's where uh, the value of your last name comes into play. That's where institutional development and creation comes into play, where you, uh, by virtue of the fact that you are sitting on top of this gold mine called your last name, that that's just it's just a, it's a diamond in the rough. It's some raw, undeveloped land for some of us. It it is it is a it is a patch of real estate that that doesn't have much on may not have much on it yet, but but it's going to develop itself as much as you choose to develop that. Um, that is in my view the best opportunity you have to understand what true economic power looks like, what, what the power of an economic God actually feels like. Uh, because when you control an institution, uh, and again, that institution is, is your last name. It is your family business. It is your family wealth. It is your family trust and endowment and estate plan. It is all these things that we're going to talk about this weekend. Um, you know, when you, when you control all of that, you in that space have the power of an economic God. Because I can tell you in my family, let me tell you about the Watkins family. Because uh, that last name, uh, it didn't mean a whole lot when, when I was born. It meant something in terms of tradition and things like that. But it, it economically, it wasn't that strong. Now now the name Watkins means a little something. It means a little something, something. I ain't bragging, but, but it means a little something, right? And, uh, and, and, and in our family, uh, I, I, am, I am kind of the patriarch. Uh, it's no, that, that's not a bad word in our family. We love each other very much. There's no abuse attached to that. But I am a little bit of a patriarch. And in our family... Um, we make the rules. Uh, in our family, we are the economic gods. When my brother and I decide to manifest something, we snap our fingers, it becomes real. Uh, there is no such thing in our in our family, in that world, in our family institution, there's no such thing as uh, oppression and, and white supremacy in that world because, because there, there, first of all, there are, there are no white people in that world unless they're coming in to work for us, right? Um, doesn't no disrespect anybody. There's no hate or anything like that. Um, it's, it's just all these terms that we we are accustomed to using to describe our existence, like like oppression and and the stress of racism and everything else. That kind of a lot of that kind of goes away from an economic standpoint when you have that institution that is yours. Now, now, here's the thing: we didn't have to go make a bunch of money in order to get to that position. The money helps. The money matters. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> We're gonna talk about the money for sure, but it's really. Uh, it really started happening when we shifted the mindset. You know, when, when many years ago, when my brother and I just said, you know, let, let's let's get away from this whole, we're, we're done cr- uh, contributing to other people's uh, empires. Let's go build our own. That that right there was a huge part of that shift in terms of power. Uh, because at that point, we, we weren't ruling over anything that was big and powerful, but we were ruling over something that was ours. We had something that a lot of our people are not accustomed to having, which is sovereignty. It's sovereignty. Sovereignty just means freedom. Right. You ain't got to control everybody else and what everybody else has. You just got to at least be able to control that patch of land that exists right around you. And then it, it started shifting also when we started learning a different set of skills. 
Uh, my brother had gone to college and, and and done really well in college and was getting some good job offers. I had a PhD in finance, so I knew a little something, something. I wouldn't, I wouldn't a, a dumb man. Um, and but we we realized that okay, when you're thinking, when you're trying, when you're playing the game above the rim, so to speak, when you're when you're playing the game as 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 as, a, as an economic god or the patriarch or whatever it is, or or you're you're, you're investing in. Uh, things that are internal that, that come from you as opposed to investing in things that are external that belong to others. There's a different set of skills you have to learn. And most of these skills are not taught in college. Most of these skills are not taught uh, in, in, in textbooks. Uh, uh, most of this is stuff that you have to learn uh, along the way, but also you learn it from other people who have had a similar experience. So so let me tell you a little story about, about this guy that I met uh, in Seattle. Uh, and, and this, this was, uh, I don't talk to many white people. I'm not going to lie. I don't, it's not cause I hate them. It's just cause I don't see them. I just, I don't, I don't, they don't live in this house. Um, I, I, I work, I, I'm here in the house a lot. And, uh, and, and, and so, but, but this guy reached out to, to us once and, and, and we had some conversations. Uh, he, he wanted to actually buy my companies. And of course that wasn't an option, but, but we, but, but it was nice to kind of get, just talk to somebody who's a little bit different, who, who's done some things. And so, uh, so I flew out to Seattle to meet with this guy. And uh, and I really I actually I liked the guy. We had a great conversation, you know, just two men talking about our families and life and everything else. I wasn't there because I was looking for a job or anything, uh, you know, which changes the dynamic. We were talking peer to peer. It wasn't like uh, I was like, oh, yes, sir. Nice to meet you, sir. Can I come work for you, sir? I, I don't I didn't have to, you know, I'm not in that position anymore. But it was just two men talking. And, uh, and and we we got to know each other, and we talked about sports and family and everything else. And one of the things that he mentioned uh, is that I didn't know this, but he, he was very aware of the work that we do here. He he said, I, "I follow you online. I see what you do." And I and I and of course, when white people say that, you kind of like, "Okay, Mario, so where's this going? What what you know? How do you feel about that?" And 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 he was completely unoffended and unbothered by any of the conversation we have about race or any of that stuff. He said, "I actually like." what I'm, what I'm hearing because he said, you're talking to your people about something that a lot of people don't understand. Again, this is even white people. He said, uh, you're talking about power and you're talking about a different kind of game. That is a difficult game to play. He said, the thing about power is that power is not about uh, being politically correct. Uh, true power is not about, uh, you know, people caring about your feelings. Uh, true power is not something that people kind of give away. Uh, true power is a, it can be a dirty game. And uh, he said, and so so when you come up and you're chasing true power as opposed to false power, he said that, you know, it's kind of like you're in World War II and you're conquering Norman, the beach in Normandy and you're, you're running up the hill with your gun blazing. And he said, he said, when you do that, he said, people are going to shoot back at you. He said, you cannot run out with your gun out and, and shoot up the hill and not expect people to shoot back. And, uh, and, and what that made me think about, I don't know what he meant in that conversation, but what that made me think about is... Um, is 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 uh is, you know it's things like a black Wall Street being burned down. You know I hear people say, well, why should we build a black Wall Street because they're going to burn it down anyway? And uh and 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 that reminds me that when you go up the the hill with your gun out, people are going to shoot back. And the other interesting thing he talked we talked about was we talked about some of the empires that exist out here that we know about, like specifically Bank of America. Some of you may have seen this. I've, I've actually addressed this a little bit in the past. Um. He talks about how Bank of America was a power play by the Italian community. The Italian community said, we need to build something for our people. Uh, so they had this the Bank of Italy, and they merged with the, the Bank of America, and they created this big, gigantic bank that they run that takes care of their people, and nobody even knows it. And and, and these sort of power plays uh, were, were really, you know, just really made me think about uh, where we can go as a people. 
Uh, this is not a conversation that can happen amongst everybody. Uh, people that have these conversations or understand these conversations, uh, uh, you, you, you're clearly part of the talented team. Uh, because it, it's hard to expect 90% of all people to really have this kind of objective. So the fact that you're even here hearing me means that you're already special. You're already going in that right direction. And I applaud you for that. Um, but 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 more deeply, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I, I kind of picked up from this discussion was um, that, you know, when you talk about things like power, like true power, true economic power, uh, true generational wealth, generational wealth and power, which, which tend to be connected, these things don't happen by accident. Um, the, you know, the, the one of the next things that he did was he said, you know, I, I really like what you all are doing in the black community. And if you want me to help you, I can get together with some of my wealthy friends and we can we can we can host a meeting uh, with you. And you can pick some black people that you trust and we can ho host a secret meeting and figure out a power play where we can use digital technology to allow your message to get around the world. I turned down that request. I turned down that request because it reminded me too much of the same kinds of um, meetings that happened during the civil rights movement where there were people behind the scenes that pulled together specific people and said, okay, this is the movement we want to push forward. And, 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 and some of these movements aren't really ours. They, they belong to other people, but there's a plan. That's the point. There's a plan. And so, so the, the point that I want to make to you all is this, that, that generational power, uh, it doesn't uh, come about by accident. Uh, generational wealth and power uh, is not something that tends to happen by luck. Uh, generational power is not something that tends to happen uh, due to charity. Uh, generational wealth and power does not come from uh, from voting for the right candidate or or asking people to, to support you. Uh, the, don't get me wrong. Those things can be important in, the, in another context. Those things are important definitely for other people and maybe for you as well. And, and that's something maybe you can look into at another time. But well, we're really talking about what it really means to make a power plan uh, for your last name. What it really means to prepare in advance to position your children and grandchildren so that they are absolute power brokers in the future. Let me just say this. It is very difficult, if not impossible, for me to explain to you how to be a millionaire in the next six months. I don't really know how to do that uh, without without a lot of luck. Right. Uh, but but it's very easy for me to explain how you can be a millionaire in the next 20 years. It's very easy for me to explain exactly how, with basic action right now today, your children could be in a multimillionaire status. It is very, oppression is hard to escape very, in, in a very short amount of time. It's very easy to escape with a great deal of time. In fact, when you look at the, the equations of financial mathematics, how people get rich, how people stay rich, where wealth comes from, the number one variable in those equations is actually time. And so when you talk about generational wealth, you're talking about economic power uh, harnessed by families and, and manifested by families over time. Most generationally wealthy families uh, didn't get well, didn't get rich last week. They got well, rich over time. It was a, it was a, it wasn't a solo sport. It was a team sport. It was a relay race. Uh, there was somebody in the 1950s or 1960s who made some power moves. Uh, which you're making right now that allowed their children to be extremely wealthy by the time the century returned. By the year 2000, their families are doing extremely well. So uh, so I, I encourage you to remember that uh, in this Generational Wealth Conference, which, by the way, if anybody wants to see the uh, schedule, you can go to uh, either generationalwealthconference.com or generationalwealthcon.com. We're, we're going to be here the whole weekend. And some people are actually listening outside of, of the building right now because we wanted people to kind of hear what we got going on this weekend. Uh, we're going to, we're going to actually, to be honest with you, we're going to have to shut that down in a minute. Uh, but if you want to join us or you want to see the schedule, you can go to generationalwealthconference.com. So we're going to talk about 
the, the tools of the rich and powerful. We're going to talk about how people make power plans for their family. We're going to cover things like wills and trusts and estate planning. We're going to talk about things like adequate insurance so you can protect your wealth. A lot of people don't know that 70% of all wealthy families lose all their wealth within one generation. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's a, that's a statistic that you should keep in mind. Uh, so you have to protect your wealth. We're going to talk about tax strategies. One of the things that wealthy people are uh, are absolutely obsessed about is minimizing the amount of money that they're giving to the IRS. Uh, we're going to talk about stock market investing. One thing that a lot of people don't know is that the number one way, the number one way, the number one way that people go from middle class to upper class is through stock market investing. We're going to talk about real estate investing. Uh, Julian Gordon is, is the best at that. And one of the things that people don't understand and they forget is that the ownership of land and property uh, isn't just a great way that, that wealthy people generate cash flow. It's a great way that wealthy people actually harness power. And, and so what you, if you want to look at a tangible goal, just something very basic that you uh, can aim for uh, with the, over the next decade, is if you can put yourself in a position where your children have a choice as to whether or not they actually want to go get a job, then you're in good shape. If you have the ability to offer your child the uh, the the the, uh, the 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 opportunity to uh, to make a living without going to work for somebody else, then then you you've 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 won the game. You 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 are in the, in the winner's circle, in my view. That is a that is a clear, simple, tangible objective that you can uh, aim for. Uh, because because at that point, what that means is that you have an endowment. That means you have wealth. That means you have something there, some resource there that will allow your child to survive without having to go beg for a job. Dr. Claude Anderson used to say in Powernomics that it is a crime that we have to send our children across town to uh, people who hate them to beg them for a job uh, when, when we have the ability to create wealth on our own. So so that might be a tangible goal you can set up for yourself. And I will just share share this with you. Uh, one day I was, um, you know, again, because I've been raised kind of in the loser circle, I grew up hearing lots of conversations where we spent a lot of time complaining about what other people did and didn't do, uh, what other people did to us. Uh, there, a lot of the conversations were built around being a victim and not actually being able to actually manifest or create anything. We weren't, uh, I wasn't raised uh, in a space where we were economic gods. I was raised in a space where we had to go pray to the gods to get opportunities. And I remember one time I had a conversation with my daughter about her job and uh, she was working at Office Max or Home Depot, one of those places. I don't remember what it was. And, and it was one of those conversations you probably heard a million times. It was a conversation where she complained about the racism on her job. She, go, she complained excessively about uh, how the people were treating her. They weren't talking to her. They were being mean to her for no reason. She was getting in trouble. She didn't like it, blah, 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 blah. And I remember the proudest moment, one of the proudest moments I ever had was when I said, you know, why deal with all that crap? Just come work with your dad. Just come work with me. You know, and, 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 and as, a, as a man, it felt amazing to be able to say that. Uh, and also, that was a uh, a point of revelation to say, wow, this is really great that I can say that. And here's the thing. This is nothing new. Uh, if you go back, uh, say, before integration, before we were chasing, just chasing jobs and just chasing college degrees, uh, a lot of our parents had the ability to say that and grandparents had the ability to say that, uh, whether it was the family farm or an auto mechanic shop that, 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 that somebody ran or the, the family bakery or whatever the case may be. Now, uh, and, and here's the thing. Here's the point I want you to understand, too, is that. You don't have to be rich to really do that. Uh, the, being rich is kind of the bonus. Being rich is, is something that will probably happen once you accumulate that power. But but this is deeper than just being rich. This is deeper than just how much money you have in the bank. Uh, this is about 
uh, the overall feeling of what it means to have a wealthy and empowered and relevant life. What we're really talking about is freedom. Uh, that, that basic word freedom that's used all the time, but nobody knows what it means. Nobody really knows exactly what freedom looks like and what it means. And nobody knows how important that is in terms of your quality of life. That literally when they studied rats in a, in a cage and in, in mice, they found that mice are less likely to be depressed when they have freedom. I'm not kidding. They measure the cortisol in their brain and, and, the, uh, and how the endorphins work and, and, all, and the serotonin. And they found that mice that can't be free are very depressed. And so when I saw that study, I said, that, that sounds like black people. We're mice in the cage, a lot of us. We're born in the cage. We don't even know we're in the cage. And we're begging, we're praying to the people who control the cage to let us out of the cage or to at least give us a, a more comfortable position in the cage. So we, we, we're looking not so much for freedom. We're looking for more comfortable versions of slavery. So, so I'm not, I'm, we're not here to teach you how to be a better slave. We're teaching you how to get out of the cage and to uh, structure the world in your image, which again, gives you the power of an economic God. You can, you can snap your fingers, something becomes real. Uh, you can make, you can decide which way your family wealth or your family corporation is going to go. You snap your fingers, suddenly you're in a different uh, line of business than you were before. You snap your fingers, suddenly little cousin Pookie got a job. You snap your fingers and suddenly you own a piece of property. That is the power that I want you to have. So we're, we're teaching you how to play above the rim and we're going to teach you in a way that will absolutely change your life. So uh, I'm going to uh, pass the mic to Julian uh, as we begin the, 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 the conference. Uh, GenerationalWealthConference.com, GenerationalWealthConference.com or GenerationalWealthCon.com. Looks like there's, there's two URLs you can use to, to see the schedule. Um, uh, those of you who are watching from the outside, you can still get a pass and join us. We're here all weekend. And we will deliver. It's going to be awesome. So, Julian, brother, I'm going to let you have the mic, man. You go ahead and uh, do your thing. Man, thank you so much, Doc. Yo, I ain't heard you preach like that about money. 